this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Outdoors in partnership with Warriors Quest is brought to you by Martin Archery, the number one archery company. Martin Archery combines leading edge modern technology with innovative design to give serious bow hunters and target archers what they demand. Axis Camera Arms for a camera arm that offers a smooth, full range of motion without restriction, lightweight, easy to pack, the name speaks for itself the Axis Revolution. Conquest Sense for more than 15 years, Conquest Sense has been selling premium hunting sense to hunters around the country. Bojax Inc., the best designed archery dampening system. Simmons Optics, everything you need, nothing you don't. Ozonics, undetectable, undeniable. Dry shod waterproof footwear, the most wearable rubber boot. Veteran innovative products, VIP broadheads. The first and only scalpel sharp broadhead with dual spring variable cutting width suspension for superior penetration. Elevated safety systems. Rancho Rio Lindo in Uvalde, Texas. Piney Woods Hunting Lodge in Eufaula, Alabama. Gone are the days when the traditional southern deer dog hunt resembled its ancestor, the old English fox hunt. Developers have built homes, shopping centers, even Walt Disney World on, the, on their grounds. <clears throat> Roads have been paved through forests. The population boom crowds the, entire, the remaining public lands. Urban dwellers think the sport archaic. Other hunters stationed quietly in trees think it annoying. But to dog hunters, it's a tradition, even if technology, trucks, radios, electronic tracking collars have changed the old age chase, the use of dogs to chase game goes back to the Stuart Kings in Scotland around 1600. Settlers brought organized deer dog hunting to the New World from the, the British Isles. It spread into the Old South, especially in parts settled by the English <coughs> and Scotch-Irish. It did not spread in the North where Germanic settlers had little tradition in dog hunting. Dog hunting today is popular in parts of 10 southern states. Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas. This week we're lucky to be joined by some men who enjoyed the sport before technology took it over. These men relied on plenty of good old-fashioned know-how, a handful of traditional workmanship, woodsmanship, and a touch of luck. So we'll introduce you this week to Mr. Dennis Smith. How are you doing today, Dennis? Hello. How are y'all? So, Dennis, tell us a little bit about yourself. How well, old are you? How long have you been dog hunting? I've been, I'm, uh, I'm nine days, ten days short of my 65th birthday. Well, I won't have to buy a hunt license no more, thank goodness. I bet you're looking forward to that, aren't <laughs> you? I'm almost as much as Briar's grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, look, it's what I, I guess what the, uh, the introduction of the sport was by my father, Alfred Smith, and his grandfather, Ed Woodham, and several other boys that were hunting up there with, were basically in Joe Creeman's camp. And uh, yeah, that's where I learned to hunt out there in the wilderness area where you can't drive anymore in Alexander Springs at, at the, the pole bridge and Burn Road and all that, and Lamb Alley, you can drive all that then. We did, mm -hmm. but yeah, 
as far as the technology went back there, we may have had one radio in the 60s, but you know, 20 years before that, when I wasn't here, they didn't have radios. They didn't have one truck, if they were lucky. And you had to put standards out there, and when the dogs went north, you just stayed there. <laughs> uh, and hopefully somebody with a truck is going back, because you ain't going to catch them. You know? Right. So, yeah, you, you would do a lot of running. Now, I didn't come in the area of that running, but <laughs> I have run to a stand or two in my younger days and run down hills to catch dogs and do all kinds of amazing feats, but that's over with. That ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of, what do you think some of the biggest changes you've seen in dog hunting since you got started? Well, the electronics and the technology is the biggest thing you've seen. I mean, they got them down days where you got an eight wax truck out there and you know, the deer still got somewhat of a chance, but I seen a video the other day where they had him hemmed up in the corner and there was already 19 dogs on him. And the guy out there, when he got to the corner, and dumped 15 more on him. Well, the deer's got to go, and it worked. Guy ran out. Deer's had to come out. But, I mean, it, the way you look at it now, you can see all the dogs, and they track the dogs, and you can tell where the cutters are, the old dogs that are already found, that are the young ones that are taken away from it. But you'll see them go way around the corner over here and them old dogs that cut straight through because there's, you know, so that's something that we always knew happened by sound, you know. Right. You'd hear a dog. Uh, and if you couldn't hear the dog, you'd need to leave it home because you'd be hunting it all weekend. Right. And of course, we had one like that. My father had a dog named Jaybird. And she could smell anything in the powder, you know. And she opened fairly good for the first block, but after that, and she'd look, she'd come to us knew she's coming to a road see you out there and run 50 yards the other way and go across we'd had a, if we'd had that technology now we could have hunted her every day basically we put her out once on a Saturday and if she came back we'd put her out again probably in a week or two and yeah. go find her so he spent more time hunting with that one dog they probably did hunting his whole life and I remember as a young kid it had to be the late 90s, early 2000s, going out with my dad. Uh, and that was back when they they had just, they still had radio collars, which they don't have that anymore. They don't no, use those anymore. No, folks got radio collars. They got GPS collars now. Well, there's a lot of states that actually require the GPS collars by law. Well, I'm, I can understand why, because they don't want, you know, in Ocala National Forest, you can put dogs in and run for a while before you're going to run across anybody else's property, because there's 300-some thousand acres out there. Yeah. But if we go up to Georgia, you know, you've got a little cuts of land giant, and then you got another one over here. So I've been in the stop the race mm-hmm. stand before, and I had to stop the race with a 60-pound doe because if I didn't let her get across, the dogs are going to get across and the other person's property, and then we got problems. So they said, thank you, kill the deer. Sure, no problem. And they'd shot at it a couple of times. Big deer, big deer, big deer. <laughs> yes. They'd come to me down there and they said, it's coming to you. All right, well, it got down there and it did come to me and it was had its tongue hanging out. It weighed about 55 pounds. Looking back for the dogs and he didn't see me and he walked up to me where I was as close as me to the backside of that refrigerator right there, which ain't more than about eight foot away. And the muzzle wasn't but about five foot away. And when I shot the little old doe, I looked through daylight on the other side and smoke came out of her nose and of course she dropped and all the dogs came up there. So the big deer turned out to only weigh fifty five pounds. But it was the first one we killed that year. I do happen to know that Georgia's uh, rules as far as uh, running dogs on private private land goes is that if you own property 
in order to run dogs, you have to have 600 contigu contiguous, contiguous acres. acres yes, sir. If you're leasing, it has to be a thousand. Oh, yeah. Lease has to be at least thousands. So leases are usually in you know five six thousand acre range. We uh, we leased yeah. property in southeast Georgia when I was stationed up there at Fort they Stewart. Ten thousand. Yeah, we had. Oh, you were Augusta. Fort Worth? No, Fort Stewart. That's in uh, Hinesville. It's near uh, Savannah. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, yeah, I've seen that too. Fort Stewart. But we were. Uh, we had the first year we had eight hundred and seventy three acres. A 600 acre track and a 660 acre track and a 212 acre track uh, in two different locations and we right. had there were three clubs in that box uh, the other club ran dogs and they had about 6,000 acres yeah and the other club on the other side of us um, they had a little over 10,000 acres that they, they ran on lots of dog races yeah and those other boys were pretty good did the, they put the any over club. run any over your way while you said they did. Uh, the, not the, wearing a tree stand. Yeah, not wearing a tree stand. The, the guys on the 10,000 acres, we actually stayed in their camp. Uh, mm -hmm. They were just a great bunch of dudes, a lot of guys out of Jacksonville. Yeah. Uh, so we made fast friends with them, and we worked hand-in-hand -hand with them to keep, mm -hmm. you know, keep people out of their place. They kept them out of ours, and we monitored their radio channels on handheld radios while we were in the tree stand. I would, too. And they would... Uh, they're letting us know, hey, the dogs are coming your way, which is never the truth. We're in the tree stand. No. They they would hit that clear cut like there was an invisible wall, mm -hmm. and they would go left or right. It never wanted to cross the clear cut yeah. if we were out there. No, it but, don't. But they, they read well. You know. But them them guys are always saying, and they're always running across that clear cut. They're always running. Not but, a bug <laughs> deer ain't gonna run unless you put about forty seven dogs on him because he ain't gonna run anywhere out in the open that he don't absolutely yeah. have to. They uh they put that they put down some good deer over there. They did a really good job of managing mm -hmm. that property. And the the gentleman Nick that ran that that club, he was a he did a good job of keeping the riffraff out and putting the people in there that really wanted to run dogs and hunt, yeah. hunt good deer. And so he had a really good club. Now the other club, the six thousand acre club, was the bane of my existence. And it makes me they truly made me understand why people don't like dog hunters because yeah, that's. They, that's just the way the way they acted. Even the other dog hunting club couldn't stand that dog hunting. That's club. the way it is. Usually, yeah. you know, you're looking at people out here, you know, and everybody does stuff different. Some of them do it right, some of them do it partially right, and some of them just get it all wrong. And I've seen all of them too. I've been hunting with some really good guys in my life, which is uh, it's just lucky for me, you know, real track hunters and stuff like that. And I've also read, hunted with the ones that go out and shine all night. And they see the buck deer standing there at 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. You walk out there and put the dogs on a track. That just ain't how it goes. I mean, you're supposed right. to ride down the road, find a track, check the track, know what you're looking at, how many deer are there, which way the last one went in the woods. You know, find a track, mark it, put the dogs on it, boom, find a good track. That's what you want to do. You want to go up there and find a buck track. You know, that's, so, so we find a lot of doe tracks so like that. Uh, <laughs> How are you? How are you? "Quote unquote," checking that track for a, to make sure it's a buck track. What are you looking for when you're looking at that doe track versus? Well, buck you're track? looking for the size of the track and the heaviness of the deer. If you catch one in the right place, now you know. Of course, in sand, it don't make no difference. But if you catch one in a good hard spot, you can see the dew claws. That's a fairly heavy deer, big deer. You catch one that is coming and using the same place about three times a week, and he'll go down and he'll go to the same place. Well, put all the dogs on that because that's the buck. Those don't do that. They just wander up, you know, out there and hello, because they know you can't shoot them. You know, information like 
you just gave right there, that's something that is lost to a lot of the younger generation of hunters. Sure. And that's, that's stuff that I learned from my dad or from older gentlemen that I hunted mm-hmm. with growing up. Uh, yeah, that's where I learned it too. But you're, they're missing out on that information now. It's all relying on trail cameras and technology mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But the best way, in my opinion, to keep a trail camera from getting stolen on public land is just to never put one out there. Yeah, don't yeah. put one out there. We can see the tracks from right around in the woods during, you know, before the season goes and check tracks. And, you know, see, I haven't done that this year, sure, because I'm probably going to go up there with with the ML Bedgood group and just set up there on the hill and say, come on, boys, go get them, because I'm, you know, I'm too old with everything else now. <laughs> uh, I can shoot a rifle, so I figured if, you know, don't know, I'm not absolute deadly with it, as Bart knows. But he's not too deadly with one either. <laughs> that's what I heard. Um, <laughs> yeah, his uncle told me, or his uncle, his grandfather told me that he and all of them boys used to think that dove inside of 200 yards was legal to take. <laughs> They'd start shooting at them at 200 yards when they were kids, and my, my, my uncle Eddie, his, his grandfather, was just sitting over there and just laughing. He's having more fun than they were. So. Oh, I can bet. I can bet. So, when did you start dog hunting? What year was it? I think the first time I'd want gone up there as a really uh, as being part of the hunting team was probably 1967, about the age of 12. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get 12 and things happen and daddy starts saying, I better take him to the woods and make a man out of him because mom would say, don't you take him to the woods, you know. <laughs> so I kind of went up there. I mean, Justin, my son, was up there at much earlier age. He didn't gun in his hand, but he got to see a lot of weird stuff, you know, a lot of good stuff. And here's shot fired and all that. Ain't nothing like that unless they're coming at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you do find that to be a problem up there sometimes. Yes. <laughs> That can be a problem on the public land. Yeah, it does. I've heard all kinds of bullets coming at me and shotgun shells, shot. You ever heard of shotgun? You ever heard of double lock buck coming at you from 1,300 feet? Double no, air? I have not had double lock buck coming at me. <laughs> right over the head. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. But I've heard, I've had, I've been shot at hunting on public land or shot in the direction of plenty of times. No. Even just still hunting out on public land, I've been right. shot at. Uh, I've heard, I, I was sitting in a stand. Uh, probably about 80 yards, 80, 90 yards off a cornfield, a cut cornfield in Kentucky when I was stationed up there. Yeah. And uh, I like to sit back off those fields like that because the deer, a lot of people want to go sit on the edge of the field because when they drive by it yeah. at the evening, the deer are all right out the edge of the field right there yeah. before sunset. Mm-hmm. Well, some, the problem is, is the deer don't come out into the field until it's almost completely dark. But they're hanging around over there trying to figure out what pork they want to eat. But yeah. 180 yards into 180 or 100 to an 80 yard, 80 yard, 80 to 100 yards into the woods, they're in, they're there at yeah. 45 minutes before sunset. Sure, they're, they're, staging, there. they're yeah. staging in there waiting for it and they're sending out, like, anybody sitting around there? No. But I had a, I heard a gentleman's truck come down the gravel road and it stopped. I heard the door slam. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And boom. Like, yeah, boom. Coming, I hear it coming through the, I can hear it smacking through the trees, yeah, the trees around me. That's a, that's a very weird feeling. But some people are unsafe. And I mean, Well, this is the thing I taught my son. There is no buck deer in anywhere, particularly in a Ocala National Forest dog hunting area, that is big enough or fine enough for you to either injure yourself or certainly somebody else by misuse of a firearm. So, and there's no there's no limit on how many times you can check your safety during the gate. 
you know. Oh yeah. I mean, if you just checked it ten minutes ago, check it again. As I'm seeing the best hunters shoot their back windows out and their floors and all that. I mean, we coming out of the Navy base one evening, and and poor uh, son that was about 15 years old. I seen Daddy was driving, and it was dark, and he I heard boom, and he dropped off the road on the right side, and I said, "What in the world happened?" He says, "This crazy boy in here was trying to unload the gun, unload the gun, shot a hole in the floorboard, shot out my right front tire. I got to change it." Oh, it's already dark, so we sat there and shined the lights on him and never there and listened to him. Put a tongue lashing on his son, one like everybody needs every once in a while, you know. So, yeah, we had to. My father, you remember, my father had a 280 lighted up. I don't know if Marty was there or not, but he had that 280, same one I got, 742 Woodmaster carbine. Yeah. And it shot a hole through that dead gum sheriff's truck back there, and he had to go back there and patch it. Luckily, it turned back to shoot out the back, and I don't know who was following him when it shot. <laughs> That's a blue whistler right there. That's seven millimeter. Yeah, that's seven millimeter. will get them done. Yeah, you know, it's a two eighty and a two eighty four. So two. I got two of them. I got a model one hundred two eighty four, and then I got that seven forty two Woodmaster two eighty that my father brought, probably a nineteen sixty or one. Because so, I think they were made for only short time, late fifties, early sixties. So he bought that thing and brought it home. And now when he brought it home, that was represented about three months, uh, three weeks of paychecks when he got that. So that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. and he took me out and bought me when I was about 12 11 or 12 before I went to the woods he got me a model 100 Winchester 284 actually I picked it up and I've had just every time I start jamming I'd say get over to Peterson and say clean it up because it will after about three seasons of riding in the woods you can't help getting dirt up on it I don't care right. how much cleaning you do you ride through there and it's dusty as you know it can be the dust is going to get on your gun uh, and you just have to come back and clean them off at night. You know? But you can't get it all out of there, so you know I don't want to take it down every night during night season. So after the season, I take it over and get cleaned out. Because if you don't, second season, it'll jam fire. You'd be pulled the trigger once you shot two shells. Yeah, or, you know, that, that buck of a lifetime will come out in front of the dogs across don't a good, have. wide, clear cut, and then the gun won't that. go boom, yeah. period. <laughs> I've already had that. There's a stand-up there called Triple Click, and it's on the East Tail Strip where you can't drive no more, and that's my stand. And that too, that exact same gun was jamming one morning, and I said, click, 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 pow. He's on the other side of the shop by then, I guess shot him, but he was, <laughs> he was, he was eight point, you know, just a scrub eight point. They say don't get huge, but you could tell he was an eight point. And I had him, I had him dead to rights at 40 yards, click. And I still had him about 100, click. About 150, click. <laughs> about 250 at the edge bow one time and I missed so that's triple click stand so anybody that tells you that they have never been fooled by deer is either telling a fib or he's never been deer hunting yeah you ain't spent enough time in the woods yeah right? because those people have got the home field advantage out there and they you know we're visitors yeah and there's a reason that they live in the woods they know how to do everything and you know if you feel like you said I've been I've been messed on with enough times for probably three men's lifetime. I'm just lucky that way. But I have killed a few deer, but nothing big. Up there in the forest for the most part. You know, I think the biggest one I got to five point, which it's not a very basic five point like your hands. But it was fun to kill. 
kill it with a 20 gauge, emptied every shot out of it I had. <laughs> Stuck his head out the bushes and I shot him in the head. He jumped straight up there 15 feet. When he landed, I put another round in him. He jumped up, went to the right, boom, pow, boom. Come all the way back to him, he was shivering. I was out of bullets. He's in there. son, Jesse, come here. He better come up there at 1200 Winchester. said, put one in his neck. Boom. Hit me gun. Okay, drag that thing out. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started hunting out there uh, in the Ocala National Forest, could y'all kill does back in the day? Or has it always been buck only? I ain't never killed no does. Well, I mean, was it legal? No. No? no. Never been legal. I, I know of. Now, Man. cracker season opens. I don't think there's any rules involved in that. What's cracker season? It stops on the last day of hunting season and ends to the next hunting season up in the day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. That's cracker season. Yeah, there's no there's no rules there. <laughs> yeah, there was. But when, that, when they were doing that, they killed all the deer out of Cashew in, in, uh, during the war. It was, I, when I was a boy out of Cashew, you did not see a deer. It wasn't until it got grown. And we started to see a deer out there again because they had killed. That was Bayhead beef. They had meatless tussies. Yeah. Not in Cashew. Yeah. No, we had venison. We had venison a lot. I didn't have any because I didn't grow up out there. My father did. And, you know, he had two sisters and a brother. Brother's the only one still living. So, yeah, they ate a lot. You had Bayhead beef. So when everybody out there is getting hungry and you got the depression to go through and you got the war to go through, deer... They're good to eat. I don't know if you will. Deer are good to eat, yeah. even yeah. when it's not hard times. <laughs> yeah, I know it. So, I mean, that's just good to eat for recreation, but they were eating them because they needed to stay alive. Yeah, that's a different, that's a totally different kind of hunting, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but, yeah, they, they didn't actually ever have the right to kill a doe unless you had private property and you have a doe tag. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure these old boys used to hunt up here south end and scrub didn't have no doe tags at all. And I'm not going to name any names, but if you think of any of them up there and you think that they ever shot at the doe, say, hmm, they may have. If <laughs> yeah. All, because it wouldn't be on. Now, I have killed a doe, but I was I had a doe tag. And actually, I could have killed all three of them, but I didn't want to be hoggish, so I just killed the one in front. But I had 280, one shot, it dropped down. The other one come, went past it, and I said, I was looking at the scope, I said, click, boom. And another one ran right straight in the tree stand and went that way, and I said, click, boom. And I said, well, if I'd have shot them other two times, we'd have three does laying up here. But I didn't want to clean but one, so I just took that one I hit. Oh, I can understand that. Yeah. I've been I there. The, I hit her pretty good, and she just, her chin hit the ground, and that was it. She's right there. But, we, you know. We were having a rough season up in Tennessee one year, and uh, my son up in Tennessee and Kentucky, and I wasn't seeing nothing. No deer. And no I had missed, missed a buck three times in the same hunt during bow season. And that was the only deer I'd seen the entire So you time. were at least frustrated, right? Oh, I was extremely frustrated. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, uh, we had about a 45-minute drive from where we lived to where with the priest of private property we hunted up there. Yeah. And uh, it was my turn to drive that morning. So mm-hmm. I woke up 4 o'clock, went and got my buddy up, my next-door neighbor. And I said, man, I said, do you mind driving? I'm going to sleep in my passenger seat. You drive my truck the way we were using my gas, which is the purpose of me driving anyway. Yeah. He said, no, go ahead. So I passed out in the passenger seat on the way there. And uh, we got there, and he said, where are you going to hunt? I looked at the thermometer. It's 22 degrees with about a 12-mile-an-hour steady wind. In the sun. I said, no. I said, the the old man keeps telling us to go hunt right behind the barn. And the barn is not but 35 yards from the house. Right. 
I said, you know what? And I said, park my truck around back of the barn. I'm going to hunt the driver's seat. Yeah, yeah. He said, you, you sure? I said, yeah. I said, what have I got to lose? I ain't got seen deer nowhere. nowhere you got a bean bag to set up on your, yeah. on your window so you can get a good prop? I didn't need one. I wasn't shooting but about 100 yards or so. Oh, no. I just leaned her out the window and kicked back in my seat, and I was enjoying the nice being good and warm and the cold air. And you might have fell asleep again. The old blind horse. Uh, the, the old man had he kind of stuck his neck out of the barn he no, he didn't try to shoot him and I looked up at the horse and the horse was kind of throwing his head back and forth and then I looked out to my left and there was a doe standing there at 30 yards I said well I'll be okay yeah. boom and she piled on down in the bottom I yeah. said cool racked another shell in there and I went back to just hanging out and the horse started making noise again I looked out there's another one at about 100 yards I said nah, I'll take two Boom! Dropped her where she stood, and I racked another shell in there, and I watched 15 more deer cross behind that barn. And Did the you buy that horse? Is No, I left him, and that's his prize racing horse. Oh, well, he was—he did uh, barrel racing I, back in the day, and he's got many. Can you still ride on him? No, because Uncle Edwin says that you can shoot once on a horse. once. Second shaky. Yeah. But uh, and then so I I said well I'm gonna get out of my got out of my truck went inside had a cup of coffee with the old man when I knocked on his door he said where were you hunting at I said right behind the barn where you told me to he said I was in here making a cup of coffee and he said I damn near shit my pants when you <laughs> shot that deer <laughs> I said I told you it was a little too close well I'll tell you now you've been to Georgia before you, have you ever been to where the church is. Should be at AA church or a Baptist church, Methodist church, any church up there in the woods. Mm-hmm. There is a biggest buck there in the woods is sleeping 30 yards behind every church up there. They well, our property line was 30 yards behind a church on the piece we had. We never saw that big buck. He hit good. <laughs> well, maybe, <laughs> yeah. he, maybe he, uh, well, yeah, he probably did, but I mean, they're there. I mean, I've seen too many stories about. We jumped it behind the old church up there in Georgia. So every church up there must have a big buck that resides <laughs> behind it. I have to keep that in mind. I have to try and find a piece behind the church. Again. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, I'm hunted up there, and that's that's a different deal. You're going to see deer up there almost every time. I saw the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life all the way down to the first day of hunting before daylight. And this, this thing was huge. It's, I mean, this was, it didn't run out of the north road of the rabbit block up there in the woods. I went to bombing range. I don't care. I'm mean, hunting in 360,000 acres. They would all be about in bombing range and they'd have their dog in the national forest in the bombing range. Mm-hmm. And we'd probably kill 40 deer out of there when they run them all out. But you ain't supposed to put dogs at the bombing range. Yeah. They're actually up there. I think they're actively bombing this weekend. Yeah, well, they don't actively care. It yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> I can't remember what it was today. Some of those were uh, were like they were just they were bombing, but they weren't live bombs. Inert yeah. bombs. And then inert, yeah, it was inert, yeah. and then some of them were actual live ordnance. Oh yeah, we used to. I went up there one time when 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 Chief Warden, uh, uh, what was his name? Chief Petty Officer, whatever. Uh, Mark knows his name. I can't remember him right now. But we went. My dad took me up there. Said we could go up there next time. You know, and this is about sixty-five. And I woke up one same morning. And boom, Winter's shaking. Hold on, Daddy, let's go. So we went up to the Navy base, and I was like, I was below 10 years old. And we went up making a mess with the guys and all of that. It was great. You know, I seen him dropping eggshells and just keeping going. And I said, I can eat that. That's okay. 
And uh, it was the biggest, it was a big memory. I mean, I was sitting in there and a bunch of, a bunch of Navy guys up there, you know, and then years later, of course, we went back up there to the PX and got wasted. And then my little red-headed driver decided that he'd forget where the stop sign was at the Navy Base 2419, so we went across it. And we ended up leaned up against the bank. Uh, I was a rather bigger than I am now, although I'm not small now, but I was bigger than I am now, and I broke the back seat off the posts. And that's probably what saved me from being killed. But, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was good to be young and stupid, you know? Yeah. Thank God that my mother prayed enough for me to keep me alive. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your first deer. My first deer didn't come until I was 36 years old. Because I took a time off in there. I went and played softball for 23 years, or 20, at least 20, 15 or 18 of them, and I was rather, had a lot of fun there. And so I didn't come back up there until I got with Tommy Fequay, the Shiner Man. He's late now, he's been, he'd be dead five years this February. And he's one of those track hunters. So I got the, I got the right thing moving from my father's group up there because Tommy's a true track hunter. And he'd go around and look at the track, and he'd tell you what, and he'd tell you it's a buck deer. And he'd put dogs on it, and sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't, so he wasn't absolutely sure. But I learned a lot from him about tracking deer, as you know, especially that one where you see a deer. You'll see him in the same place, come up, I guess come up the road, cross, you know, or just come walk the edge of the road and then go across. I seen that same deer track up there on 62, and we went up there and some of my buddies that had been hunting over in Paisley come up there and my boy Squigmon, Squicky Crawford, that'd be Carl, um, he, he says, uh, he found a track over here and I come by there and they've been, they've been telling me now, I'm up in my area now and they're visiting and they say, you need to show me a buck track. And I read by there, that's a buck track right there, Squeaky, put your dogs on it. And when it came out the other side, it was a buck and I shot at it and I would have killed it except the lost guys up the road were standing in the, uh, up there in the middle of the road and then the two boys that was up there, I'd have shot anyway. But that 10 year old boy in there, I wanted to go shoot him. So I had to wait for him to get off the side of the road and put one load in his right ham and then the second shot blew his right rear foot off almost. So we got that one right up the road there and boy shot it with a 30 odd six. And I said, dude, well, how was he doing? And he, got there, he says, that, that was the thing like, I thought it was a truck coming through the woods. Because <laughs> he couldn't hit chunk, 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 you know, like this. Dragging that leg. Dragging that leg. So I got in and told him, yeah, I've been my dear if you fools hadn't have parked up the road and said, I'd have shot you two, but I wasn't going to shoot that boy. <laughs> <clears throat> so we've had some fun up there. We've had deer races that have done a lot of weird things. There's one I'm trying to go out to, go out to 40. They try to get to 40 <clears throat> and go in the, in the uh, not bombing range, but the, the uh, 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 help me, bring you out. Up there, northeast northeast corner of 40 and 19 mm -hmm. is the breeding ground for, uh, all the way up to about about the Juniper Wayside up there, and uh, they're trying to get in there, and we got one boy running out of the running out of the Farley's Prairie down there, which is just south next road south of 99. I don't know what they call it anymore, but anyway, they are. Uh, how are we doing, Tom? Uh, 22. No, we're good. We good. We got four for 22. I don't care what it is. Go. Y'all find 99 on old map, and I'll tell you where you're at. We can, we can go on for, as far as time's concerned, we can go on as long as you can go on. Yeah, well, that's a long time. Uh, I, don't yeah. know. <laughs> I might need some more coffee by that. Well, there's a whole pot sitting over there. Okay, there. 
Alright, but yeah, I'm, I've got plenty of stories up there. I don't know which one I want so, to start with. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. I've always said that uh, running, do- running deer with dogs is, is so much fun because it combines a redneck's two favorite sports, and that's hunting and, and NASCAR. Yeah, yeah, hunting and NASCAR, hunting and driving. So, and hunting. Yeah. in my limited experience dog hunting, mm-hmm. I have come had a few, quite a few close calls with a traffic accident in the woods. Yeah. Have, have you ever been involved in a full-on traffic accident? In the I've woods? never been prolonged in a traffic accident, but I've seen them happen. Because uh, I will, you know, but my hunting party knows that we're going east down the yellow jacket. Anybody coming west is like subject to get run over, get out of the way. Because I had his cousin Matt behind me with his with Ed Woodham, his grandfather, back before Got he left. showed up. Well, Dennis left them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had we had a dog going to forty. Had a deer race going to forty. I got to go, and uh, Matt was back there. Come on, Grandpa, keep up with him. keep up with. Him. I can keep it up with him. He knows every tree out here. I don't know where they're at. <laughs> I knew where the stumps were until I'd forget one every once in a while and run and blow the tire out. Did that a couple of times. Yeah. Bounced a truck off the same tree on the same corner at least twice in one hunting season. What, get it straightened out, get your back end moved over so you get straightened out? I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They were coming around in the corner and I guess it it hit them because it hit like the roof. A limb hung low enough where they would hit the roof, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess he hit it about at least twice. Well, see, we'd always go out like this time of year when I had an organized party, and, and yeah. I mean, I'm much younger. The bed goods are up there doing it now, and they're cleaning roads. Yeah, they know which roads we need to go on because you know, I, and I'm gonna be hunting a new part of the woods, somewhat new this year. It's not like I don't know where I'm at or anything, but. Yeah. I'm going to be on Technician's Hill for most of the time, which y'all find out where that is, and you can come find me. But it's on 80. Highest point on 80, and I don't know what they call that now. That comes out of north out of Willie's Ironworks off 42 and goes to 87, which I don't know what they call that now. Yeah. You got the uh, Demco Cemetery Block, the the uh, all the north and south Possum Chop and all that there. It's all closed off in there, and all the way back to to Adam's house about the way back to the boys ranch in there and all that and then on the other side of the road you got Clovelier Field and then uh, you go to 87 and you're looking at turn right go to Oil Well you turn left go to 66 take it north these are old old numbers so don't look for them up there right now get you an old map you better get you an old map if you want to know where I'm telling you because I don't know none of them numbers and I'm going to tell you you need to get to the bomb hole and 60, Sandy, 65, you better get there in a hurry. Where's that? that? Ready. <laughs> Where's that? And I said, well, if you don't know, I'll be there before you will. <laughs> so, yeah. It seems to be, as far as the road numbers are concerned, just about the time you figure out and memorize as a new hunter what all the road numbers are, they change them. the Forest Service comes in and changes them all. Well, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I know where I'm at up there. Yeah. I'm like one of them old men up there told Shiner, he said, go around, turn, and Shiner man's trying to be the ambassador, of course, to the hunting party, and he was. He was the hunting master, so he had a fellow up there called Elmer Warren. We called him Fudd. Yeah. Uh, Fudd was going around there to the old Navy base. The old Navy Road's been in there for, that name closes now, the old Navy Road's been in there for 
85, 90 years, just like the Yellow Jacket. They ain't got it closed. But they closed down the Navy Road, but he was on it before they closed it down. And Senator Man said, you go right around there until you look down that bottom, that's what He said, boy, I was up here when you weren't even around. This is the road goes to the Navy base. I know where I'm at. Well, he didn't know what to call it. He didn't know what our stands was. You know, we everybody names their own stands. And what you got to do to be a real good dog hunter is you got to know what your people call the stands. And both of the three or four hunting parties around you, you got to be able to translate. Right. Because they'll bleed over and you, you know, what are they doing over here? Good old dog over Boom, boom. I said, boy, watch out, boys. What's up? I said, them crazy boys over here shooting brown hair. Down <laughs> <laughs> so, checking them. <laughs> you brought up the, I heard you talking briefly, brought up the hunt master. Can you explain the role of what a hunt master does? I've heard that term several times when it comes around uh, talking to uh, other dog hunters and stuff like that. They always talk about who the hunt master is going to be. Mm-hmm. What's the role of the hunt master? Well, ours was to, in order to breathe, he had to do a lot of uh, complaining. But anyway, he was he's the guy that was, you know, the leader, the coach of the team, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, usually had most dogs. And he usually wanted them to put them out first because they didn't crap in a box. So Huntmaster got to, you know, I don't care who found the track, Huntmaster putting his dogs on. So that's one of the reasons up there. I mean, it gets a little petty up there, but, you know, where else don't? Uh, right. Have a few spats here and there. But I was able to, I never really had a spat with him. I was more of the peacemaker up there, you know. Uh, I don't know why I chose that role because, I guess because I just did. I've been a coach and worked men for 42 years, so they ain't nothing that, that men do that's going to surprise me. And I'm sure you've been in the military, and so have you, so what the first thing they told you when you got there. Now, I've never been because I'd have been the guy coming off of that Huey out there carrying a 50, and uh, they just shot me in the chest as soon as I hit the ground. Charlie would just wipe me out, and I knew that. So uh, the draft stopped 72, and my number came to 73. That I wouldn't want to go to Da Nang yeah. or wherever there are people, Laos and right. Ho Chi Minh Trail, and they could have all that. I'm pretty sure. By that time, we were pretty sure we didn't need to be there anyway. Right. Yeah. Don't know why we got over there and got started to begin with. You know? But there's people that went over there and lost their lives, so I commend them for that. All these servicemen, <coughs> both of you guys. What branch are you in? I was in the Army. And you was in the USA, wasn't Army. You? Y'all were, I, this is your interview. Go ahead. But I was wondering, y'all ever seen each other in the Army? No. No, that's good. Well, well not you right. were in the Army for, what, maybe a year after I? You, you got out about 12. a year after I started? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you were in before 2012. No, 2012 is when I enlisted. Yeah. Went to basic training February 13, 2012. Okay, so that was just after I got back from yeah. Iraq. Yeah. yeah. You went to Iraq and did what? Ten. What'd you do when you got over there? Um, I mean, sat around years. and look at the Iraqis or what? Pretty much. Oh, well. <laughs> weren't, you responsible, weren't you responsible in a part on the team that was dismantling all the stuff we were bringing back or something like that? Uh, not really. Or servicing whatever was over there? We, I, was, we were, I was a mechanic. We took care of um, tanks. We had one. We were one of the last ones. I think the 82nd. Was it 82nd or 101st? Either one of them's great places. The All Americans. The Screaming Angels. No, that's no, that's eighty second. That's All American. Yeah, um, they come in right after us, and they were 
they're pretty much there for security for us to leave. They're pretty good security, aren't they? I guess. Yeah. Ain't nothing happening, so. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But anyway, and then it pretty much it went to hell after that, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> what happened to Iraq? And, and there's some dog hunters there. But what we have a problem with right now is the night hunters on the highways. That's what's yeah. not wiping out our deer. It's just about like the depression warrior I'm talking about. There's people going up there feeding their families over deer, and you know how many of them stand on the side of the road at night eating that grass. So the mm-hmm. boys would just come up there and blast them away. I don't care if they're does, yearlings, bucks, don't care. And that's what we need to get done up there. They're talking about closing all these roads. What they ought to do up there is make some of the roads more um, more uh, conducive to double hunting. Like put a perimeter out there around there so we don't have to go catch dogs off Ford. We can catch them off the little road that runs inside of 40, about 200 yards. Right. Inside yeah. of that. Yeah. You know, but and they, they won't build any roads, but they close down every one of them that we do. And those things are actually pets that we're chasing out there. Somebody feeds them and loves them. Yeah, and yeah. and big and old forty, they become flat dogs. Yeah, yeah, and that's a common misconception. A lot of people, uh, you you see, people that are really against running deer with dogs, mm-hmm. is that they say that the dogs don't get treated well. I have never seen a group of people take so much time to like study into the health of a dog how yeah. much protein how much all this every time when the dog is not running it's getting fed something different than right. what it is in the off season so on and so forth to make sure that that dog stays healthy mm-hmm. enough and in the, the right shape yeah no, to run no. deer the uh, the people look at them dogs and they oh you don't feed them they're skinny i said you ever seen a greyhound yeah, they can run fast. What they look like? Because these ain't greyhounds up here, and they're chasing something much faster than a greyhound. Yeah, I mean they all that running and dogs are athletes. Yeah, if you yeah. got out there and ran a, a, a marathon every day, you're gonna be thin. Mm-hmm. So these people, are like, oh, those dogs are so those dogs are in great shape. Matter of fact, you go out there and get them fat and run them, they'll have a heart attack. Yeah, especially in this part of the season where where we're what two weeks from opening day or so or three weeks and what is the temperature outside? It's like ninety, 90 degrees. That's yeah. why we're sitting inside, right? Yeah, ten four. All right, but you know it's just the uh, between that and and then you have the group up there that and of course I was one of them. I liked to drink beer when I'm back then, but when I knew I had a beer, I unloaded the gun and went back to drinking beer exclusively. I wasn't going to try to. Where are you going to be on this race back here at this beer cooler? Y'all are running deer over the beer cooler and I'll tackle it. You know? <laughs> but I ain't getting no gun out no more because I am not reliable. So you, you, tell, you talk about that. You ever seen the video on Facebook of the old man? He's sitting there. He is literally sitting on a cooler and the dogs are running the deer to him and he's got his rifle in his hand and he look. you see him look and he sets the rifle down and picks up a rock about the size of a softball right in the top of the head when the deer goes past yeah. and dropped it. Graveyard well, right there in the middle of the road. Deep stuff. <laughs> I'm going to pull out my left story here in a minute. <laughs> well, let's hear it. Yeah, Arthur Lambert. The Get late the Arthur Lambert. The late Arthur Lambert known as Leopard, the left. Up there with me and Tommy at his house. That would be the Shiner Man, the late Shiner Man. Well, I come up there one night and I could, he was up there talking to Shiner and I already know how to, you know, stir up something. So I got up there and got talking to him, and I tried to, we and Shiner got to telling stories. Well, that was on top of us, whatever we told. You know, we told him that we uh, hung the moon. He's going to tell us that he flew up there and hung the sun. 
you know, something like that. So we're talking about let me get started. So we were over there about about the Alcoa Fish Camp Road on the river, over at Squirrel Haven or whatever it's called. They said we had dogs out running the buck deer, and they run it till dark, and we caught all the four dogs, and they were still running the buck deer, and we said we we're gonna go home. Now, it's in one little block, okay. So they came back the next morning, and the dogs were still running the deer in the same block, and they dumped the fresh dogs on it and killed it. It was eight point. Now, if you believe that, I got some real cheap swampland. I'll sell you. <laughs> Tales have been told. Oh, there's always tales to be told. You have to embellish those stories. By the time you embellish them over about 40 years, you're not even telling the same story anymore. <laughs> Example, my great uncle, Garrett Johnson, had killed a big deer up there in Georgia. And I saw it the first time I was up there. I was about six. And he told me the story. By the time I was 16, I said, did you kill another deer? Because, you know, he'd come through one window and it looked that way, and the next time it looked that way, and the next time it was broadside, and the next time it was going away from him. I thought, I don't know how many times he shot the deer, but deer must have been doing a modeling uh, photo shoot right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the deer was dead to show off. Dead, yes, very dead. Did and then there's some of them deer that you think you killed. Especially back in the old days when the boys needed some meat up here. I've heard the story about several people that you bring a deer home and uh, Tommy said his grandfather Froman Fuquay had uh, killed him and somebody up there, maybe Owen Bates, sorry about that Noah, um, had uh, killed, a, killed a, uh, a deer of the female gender. Very slick, onion head, yeah. Killed it and thought they'd killed it, and they throwed it back into the old Model A and was coming down the Umatilla to clean it. So they got down here and looked in the back and the rear view mirror, and the deer was standing up there looking out the window with them. <laughs> and then there's the one that the boy up here, Slager, killed one time, and he brought it down here. And again, and this, again it's not a bug, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think it was. And they, they thought they'd killed it and put it in the trunk. They come out up in the trunk, that son of a gun broke and run. They had to put the dogs back on him and kill him like a the door. Running through people's yards. Hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. They do fox hunting before, I guess. I have. I have gone out uh, with some of the guys that, uh, when I was in high school, I had a buddy who grew up running dogs on a cow national horse. Yeah. Um, and in the off season, his dad, back when it was still legal, they would go up there and run fox in the forest. What was his name? Uh, man, I can't. Yes, his handle was Grizzly. Tyndall's his last name. Yeah, Gene yeah. Tyndall. Yes. Younger brother to LeVon Tyndall. I don't know that much. Mother to Mrs. Tyndall, who's the greatest, sweetest gal I ever met. Yeah, I know, Gene. Just played poker with him not too long ago. I, uh, I hunted with his son, his youngest son, Clint. I coached his youngest son, Clint. Yeah. In Little League. No, we're still, I'm still good friends with him. Clint actually hunted with us when we had that piece up in southeast Georgia yeah. for a year. You tell Grizz next time you see him, I said, duh, huh? He'll know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know Grizz. So, how do you get, uh, what, what, is your, what is your handle, per se, like we talk about well, Grizz there? And mine is Spanky. Uh, P-A-N-K-Y. No S in front for Spanky. No, Panky. And I got that handle from a softball team, which was because I wore some, we played in Mount Dora and there was a boy over there calling himself Panky. 
though he must be the original Peggy, but he come out there with platform Chuck Conver Chuck Taylor All Stars on, and uh, blue. So I was playing ball over there, and these guys got. Oh, I mean, I come in there. This is the '70s, so everybody go down there. Old men go in there, and we play ball, whoop somebody's butt, and then they go down and drink for six hours. Well, we had to take a little time because we was young, uh, a couple of us, and we had to go out and chase the 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 elusive split tail, of course, you know. Afterwards, sorry, one girls. Um, so we come down, we go there and get dressed because we go down there and drink a few beers with them until about 10 o'clock when they went home. Then that's about prime going out looking for drunk girls' time, of course. You got to remember that. Don't get out there too early. You have to pay them up. You have to, you'll have to get them drunk. Yeah. Just wait till somebody else does. <laughs> yeah. uh, saved a lot of money like that. Where was I? But That's your tip of the week right there. <laughs> now I've lost my place. Where am I? How you got the name Panky. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I come down there when I had a pair of platforms used at the time because that was cool. I had my bell bottoms and all that stuff. All I was going out and had my big old afro out here like this. You can't tell it anymore now, but I used to have hair. And uh, I come down there and they said, look at them blue blue and blue shoes, platform shoes, white bottoms. Look there, that's Panky's shoes. And that sucked. I've been panky for the last 45 years. So it just transferred it because a lot of the people that I run dogs with, all players played softball with. So yeah. it's just panky. Shireman played softball. Pistol Pete played softball. You know, all these guys played. So how did some of those guys get their names? Do you know? Shiner was from his father. He was the big Shiner. And then, then Shireman, you know, he just took it over there. So that's Shireman, the one and only. If you hear of another, he must be a phony. Pistol Pete, I can't even tell you how he got his name because it's pretty dirty. But he's Pistol <laughs> Pete from down the street, okay? And uh, and then we got uh, Gut Checker, and uh, he got his because you know what a Gut Checker is. And uh, and then we got one boy's had several names. His present name is Fireman, and his first name was Fugly. <laughs> F-U-G-L-E-Y and um, I've decided this year he gets a new one because I'm going to go Blake how about you Banjo Boy Banjo Boy through the leverage on the channel come on because you <laughs> he looks a little bit like the Banjo Boy from the leverage so is Joe Biden by the way yeah <laughs> how did uh, how did uh, Christian and Caleb get their handle I don't, know, I don't know which one's which. I don't either. So. But one of them's grub and one of them's termite. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how they got that. I don't. They never worked in the termite business or anyone. They've been no. linemen. They're linemen, yeah. so I don't know. So I don't know how they got those, you know, but they got them. That's good enough for me. How about your grub, worm, you know, so that. Yeah. What's yours, anyway? You just got a briar? I don't know. I really ever have one. I'm going to come up with one for you. Yeah, we come up with that. You let me know, and I'll be sure to call him everywhere. <laughs> I'll work on that. I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff. But yeah, about the only thing we don't call him is late for dinner. Yeah, don't pretty call close. him late for dinner because he ain't missed no meals. <laughs> okay, have you? Not, not recently? No. That you can remember? Okay. Well, I used to be in my prime just about... A biscuit short of 400 pounds, if you can believe that. Whew. I was only half the man I used to be. Well, a little older than half. I weigh about 225 now. Uh, it makes you live longer, though. Yeah, it does. 
But I can't run after nothing no more up there. All I can do is sit up there and talk on the radio, and that's probably what I'm going to do a lot of, especially in the morning and in the evening. And then we go to hunting, you know, and I won't step on them or anything, but I might go up there. I'll look for tracks when I'm going through there, and I'll find one. Some boys got a track over here. Looks like a pretty good one going here, coming out of Clovelier Field, going towards Possum Chop. You want to put some dogs on it? Go over and look at it. I do just love being able to get out there and just listen to the dogs run. Oh, yeah. That's dogs are the best thing. I mean, I don't care what they're chasing. I like to live to them. They could be chasing a house cat, but man, they're never so many as long as I can hear them go. You know, I'm to, I, we were up there on that brick road the other day a few weeks ago, and uh, that's in Flagler County and St. John's County. We started St. John's County, then we Flagler. I mean, it's just nothing but woods up there. And the Durances and uh, some others have been up there for since the Conquistadors came through. And we're over there on the old brick road that's going down from St. John's County down into Flagler County near Espinola. And just to see it, I, you know, he, the fellow brought me up there and, and uh, he finally found the place. And I said, you know, I've been here. Really? Yeah. So my uncle used to take me up there all the time. My uncle GC lived up there in Benel for a long time. And when we going down the road, we're looking at brakes and everything, and we come up on four trucks out there. And I said, Richard, stop the truck. Stop. I ain't stopping them people. Well, I said, stop the truck. You know them people? I don't know them, but I know they, they dog hunting. So he, 200 yards down there, I'm coming down. I'm dressed in my hat and my shorts, you know, and I look like, you know, they can't tell me from a Yankee. Until I got up there and I'm throwing my hands up there, I'm throwing, they don't know what I'm in. I said, I'm Jones in the hair dog race, dump the pack. He said, We just caught him. I said, Dad, come and I knew I was late. And the day had run up there and caught a hog. It was the only deer, trying to find a deer, but there was too many hogs out there. The dogs are run up there and bait a hog. They went in there and got them all. They just got them all off the hog. And there was, there was four generations standing there, old Florida dog hunters. And one of the fifth generation is getting ready. So it ain't going nowhere. So the wood family tree that didn't fork? Uh, I don't know how many forks <laughs> they got in this. I'm not sure. I know they did an NS, uh, C, what is it, NCIS up here in Umatilla. Yeah. They couldn't get it going, though. Everybody had the same DNA. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, so what kind of dogs did you run, or what kind of dogs do you run now? Well, they were, for the most part, they run tricolored walkers, bigger walkers. They come from the old harriers and the foxhounds and everything, plus beagles. And there's, you, you, you keep them so you don't, you know, if you get you a bunch of long-legged walkers up there like foxhounds in the forest, you're going to tear up everything in your truck trying to get them from away from the highway. So you don't want any dogs that really push the deer that hard. Because... You know, most of it, you know, them roads up there aren't made to run 60 mile an hour, although I've tried. <laughs> but they will uh, knock everything around in there and jump and make your guns hit the floor and all that kind of stuff. So I don't like going that fast unless there's real good reason. And here, the older I get, the less real good reasons I find. You know what I'm saying? I'll let you guys run up here and say, I want to get in there because you're up one morning and fix your truck in me, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, that's one of the things that blew my mind going up there hunting around those dog, the, the, in that dog club is that you'd have those guys out there in a brand new 2500 Duramax with a dog box in it. Just driving like, it, trying to drive it in the ground and get ahead yeah, of it. And say, sight, we've seen a buck. And everything goes up a notch or two then. Yeah. With sight buck, people get crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't believe they'd run a the truck that nice up, uh, out through there like that. 
but that's what he bought it for yeah yeah i can't afford one anymore i had to buy another house it wouldn't cost as much as a truck yeah so I've got a little old 88, 89 Ford four-wheel drive over there that I've spent enough money. I think the only thing I do is get my get my radiator checked out, but I've spent enough money on it where it'll go to the woods and it'll climb anything up there. If it don't climb it, I shouldn't even be on the road. But it'll climb, uh, for example, the other day, about two months ago, one of the Altoona Word of Mouth guys said, I'm stuck in the woods. Somebody can come get me. And then he put his GPS map and it's got them old road numbers. It's got the new road numbers on it. But I saw the bomb hole coming across there. And there's the range right there. He's down in a hole up there between the bomb hole road going south to the bombing range. Hit 99. And then you still got to climb the rest of the hill. That has stuck a many a people. And he showed me that. And I've come back to him on Facebook. And I said, I know right where you're at. But I can't get there. Uh, so you're halfway up the hill. Back it down to the bottom. Let the air out of the tires, find you some of that junk that's in the bottom of that hole, because we've been sticking trucks here for 65 years. <laughs> There's something in there to get you out. Yeah. There's a wonder ain't a jack buried around there somewhere. So there, I'm sure there, there is. There's probably be a shovel stowed out there somewhere. But yeah, you're going to get stuck on that two-wheel drive. I've been stuck on a two-wheel drive. I'm a very good two-wheel drive truck. I had the old 68 GMC and had, had been welded to the rear end, had a granny gear in it. They go anywhere up there. Most of the four-wheel drives would climb number one hill like a champ. And what I was going to tell you all about. That's where we need to go up there because I'd like to show you the Arredondo Grant because I know right where the corner is up there. And you can just show you which way it goes. And this way, when it goes east, there's two or three parts of the Yellow Jacket to ride right on it. And there's another road on the other side of 19 that runs back here to the camps and it runs right on it. And the Wiley Road runs right on it, which they don't even let you use tomorrow. So, but I shouldn't have brought maps to show you that. But yeah, if we get a chance to go up there, and it'll be after cool top, yeah, or yeah. maybe after the season when it's like February and I'm cold. Now I might go up there. Yeah. Now what we've got to do is we've got to get up there with you when they're they're running dogs. Oh, 10 four. And let's let's record this and record another one. So oh, yeah. maybe we can actually yeah. hear a good race. Oh, I'd love to hear a good mm -hmm. race. I'm jonesing for a race right now. I uh, I watch it on. I get so bad. I watch it on YouTube. Yeah, you know, I watch Brian Brian Pencil, the big pencil. You've yeah. seen him and uh, Bubba Roundtree Outdoors and. Yeah, and another one is uh, is the guys there in South Carolina that are from like uh, Charleston and all that area where you have what well, I don't know what they call them they call them Geechee up there but they're uh, they're a mixed race deal but every one of them you know talk like me and you or probably closer to me yeah because you got yours cleaned up some because you've been in the army right was that never mind. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's, uh, these people up there, and I listened to them, and they got dogs. That one that I was listening to, I was telling you about, was the one that I sold, and they, they had the deer up in the corner of the block, and the dogs had run away. He ran up here, there's 15 dogs on the deer. He puts 19 more on because he knows right where the deer is, because you can see the dogs, and he knows the deer's out in the corner somewhere because the dogs ain't turned south. You know, so they know where the deer is. It's not any dicks ahead of the dogs. That's when people say, what would I want to do to kill me a deer? If I said, I'd suggest you get ahead of the dogs. I have not seen the deer trail the dogs yet. They're usually the other way around. I have seen them this. 
cutting up on 99 one morning, which is whatever the road is now, 49 or 27 or whatever. It's 99, okay, folks. It runs by Farley's Prairie's North Boat Ramp. It runs, the bomb hole splits off of it, just west of there. Runs all the way to 88. Somehow or another, it becomes a mattress road out there for some reason. I never figured that out. Well, you have to have a road change names, but it's probably because the hunting party changed names. Changed, you know, it was like the, yeah. the, we hunt the tower block, and we hunt the buck block, and we hunt the I don't know chop, and which ain't a chop no more. And we hunt the P block, which ain't there no more, and it is a chop. And the Yellow Jacket Strand, which is now a chop. And, uh, you know, it's just all over there. That's where I killed my first deer. It's where I killed several deer up there. But I mean, you know, I killed one old, one little doe up in Georgia, because I had to, and one out there at the EK Ranch when I was going out there with my boss. And he said, go ahead and take a doe. And like I said, I could have took three, but I only took that one. Because I ain't no hog. Game hogs, you ever seen game hogs? Game hogs? Yeah. No. I don't think so. Yeah, you may have. I may have. This is the guy that's up there to kill every last deer in there because oh, he's got yeah. his money in that and he wants to get his venison down to the lowest price per pound. And he will kill them. He'll stay out there all day and he'll kill everything that comes by and what they want, want them to kill. I, I have, I have seen guys? those people before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they are in every facet of hunting. It's not just, uh, it's not not just, just deer hunting, hunting, not just dog hunting. Not just quail. Well, I don't know where you can go hunt quail anymore. South Carolina, Maybe. where they got them raised. I saw nah, when we were in Kentucky. When I was in Kentucky, we had there. There is a very good, healthy population of wild quail on that military base over there. Well, that is not the case around here anymore. Because you've seen where there used to be cubbies all over this place. We could drive five it. minutes out here and be in, you know, and looking at a cubby quail course of one of these orange groves. Now, they ain't no quail. Yeah. I remember growing up, walking through the woods, stepping in cubbies mm-hmm. at least just three, four, five, six times a season. Yeah, just absolutely scare you to death. Oh, no, absolutely. I had an owl do that once. When I'm going down to my stand, and it's dark, and I'm going down this little tram, and swamp on either side, and I'm walking down there, and I'm, I'm sneaking up down here on a square down here because there'd be deer on there, so I was easing along there. And this, the water was down here, so there's circus trees out here and this thing's not more than 12 feet from me I won't come in I like to have died (laughs) (laughs) just all of a sudden out of nothing and I'm talking about this hoot owl was loud he wasn't but about 20 feet from me over there in the tree yeah. I got that mud slipped. I caught my balance, but I thought it was going to fall down in the mud. And I went down and said, don't you ever do that to me again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I walked on down there, and I saw a deer, but I didn't see anything I could shoot because we weren't killing does that day. And the most part, when I go out there hunting with these guys anymore, they let me go out there. I ain't shooting does. You know. I'm, if I go out there, I tell them, you want to pick a doe? I say, I don't need a doe that bad. I want one with horns on his head, and I went for him. I've had places, I've had one out there at the EK Ranch that was no more than the, from me to you from the end of that 280 sitting up there like this. And she walked right out there and I said, you know, that's a long way to drag you. You look like you weigh about 110. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it, you got to think about stuff like that. I've made, yeah. uh, 
wasn't quite called a mistake, but I had to drag it a, a buck that dressed out at about 240 pounds. Yeah, well, how far did you have to drag him? Two and a half miles. Two and a half miles? Yep. That was that the, the closest, closest road? That was the closest I could park. There was a road but you there, know, but you couldn't. You couldn't. Yeah. It took three of us almost four hours to get that deer out. Oh yeah, sure. it, was, it was brutal. That. It was brutal, but it was worth it. He was a big old buck. Yeah, and I, I knew a big old buck down there, and I said, "Buck, bring some people down there dragging the buck out." <laughs> I knew that uh, when I walked into that spot, being as I walked the two and a half miles in there too. Well, it, you know, it's two and a half miles back. That I was about to drag <laughs> it back, and he weighed a hundred and what forty two two forty dressed two forty dressed. Yeah. So that's 300 pound deer close to it if not yeah yeah that's and uh, we didn't dress him until we got him out of the that was in kentucky okay yeah they got him big up there too yeah uh, matter of fact 280 has killed a deer in kentucky yeah yeah i didn't kill it shire man did i ain't never killed that deer deer with i never even shot at the deer with that 280 but i've always had something else that i shoot that 284 in me is is dropped him well i had a tasco stope on that at one time that i i was deadly I shot deer at 225 yards in them both times. Shot one at about 175 yards and it disappeared. So yeah, I was shooting it. Uh, but you get you get that 280 right there. That's kill one deer by shot, man. And then I lend it to a blue tick, which would be Steve Wiley. I learned that him for one three uh, one nine day season up there in the scrub, he killed three up there. Really? Lend it to one of my buddies out there who shall remain nameless. And one boy went to shoot at what he thought was a buck down there. He was running about 250 yards, and there was one boy up there with that, my gun, my daddy's gun, and one of them up there with a 30-30, and I got up there, and they said, you did the deer. And that boy with a 30-30 said, my gun won't shoot that far. And they had shot the far to kangaroo. He had shot both front legs, both front legs off of that deer at about 250 yards with that 280 and they went around there and the only thing left of the deer was just jumping on its back foot so this is this the that's the florida kangaroo so they jumped on it and stabbed it and i've seen this one particular boy up there with i thought he was tarzan every time he jumped he jumped on my son's deer that he hit and went in there and stabbed it like tarzan he did that until he got a hold of seven point up there that like to took his eye out and i think he's away from that now Another boy, Timmy Holman, I remember him his first time he ever shot a deer in bow season. He killed a seven point, and you're supposed to let it go bleed, right? Mm-hmm. He went not letting it away. He jumped on his back. <laughs> that deer was, had, a, had an arrow in it and still stomped a mud hole in his butt. I'm telling you. <laughs> they whipped the crap out of you. Yeah, you, know, you don't walk up to the foot side of none of them deer. Because, like I said, you know, they may be playing possum. And how many of them you ever seen? Oh, that deer's down. He got there. Oh, where'd he go? There's some blood. There's some more. Ain't no more blood. I guess that deer's out of here. You know? Yeah. You go out there and die somewhere, but you won't get credit for it. Right. Yeah. Buzzards get a meal. Buzzards and the coyotes. Be kind to buzzards, week. But as we draw this down here towards the end, every week, uh, we do the Under Pressure Outdoors Tip of the Week. Uh, the Under Pressure Outdoors Tip of the Week is brought to you by the Ratchet Jacket. The Ratchet Jacket is a neoprene cover for your ratchet strap. You can use it to put in the corners on your when you're tying down your load to keep from fraying your ratchet strap. You mm-hmm. can put it on the metal part to keep from scratching your mother-in-law's china cabinet when you're strapping it down the back of the truck. Right. But get on their website, check them out. They're really inexpensive for what they are. 
And, well, good. Uh, I got about four sets of ratchet straps over there right now. They ain't put into good use yet, so I can use them. They can. They could save your. They, they can save your load for sure. Right. If not your straps entirely. So, the other pressure outdoors tip of the week. We try to give a tip of the week, and I'll I'll lead this one off. I, if if you guys pick up anything out of this series we're doing over the next five weeks, is that uh, technology is nothing more than a tool. Uh, but it will it will at some point fail you, especially because a lot of that technology we use is on the, those handy dandy cell phones we have. Yeah, well, you can't be looking at the cell phone when the deer crosses. Have you ever well, tried to shoot one with a cell phone? It don't work. It doesn't no, work. I ain't killed one yet with a I wonder, camera. I wonder how many uh, deer have been saved because of cell phones. Oh, quite a few. I'm <laughs> sure. I know one was saved from a CB radio. Yeah. You know, so I'm looking up the deer and I say, this deer's all over the place over here. I don't know where it's at. And I looked up there and it sent Justin and my son the wrong way and he'd stepped out of this little road up there and I said, well, there he is. We'll shoot him. I said, bang. And he went across the road. And I said, we got to go over here and get on this deer and bring me some dogs. My two are going the wrong way. They'd back trail the son of a gun. He had just been there. I mean, he was there. And we went down there and looked and I seen where he was thought across the road. There's so many tracks there and he'd slipped back up the road. And I looked up there and I said, I don't know where this, wait a minute, there he is. There he goes. And seven comes back on and here, that was about what? And I said, yeah, why didn't you shoot? And I said, I did. Shot him one with the microphone. <laughs> they went over there and got on him. And actually, that those two boys you know, were listening in on our radio over there, knew the deer was coming to this road. So they were there, boom, boom, and they didn't hit it. And money went over there and finally killed it. Come back with a little three point. So what I was going to say was technology is only going to get you so far. Yes. Having an intimate knowledge of the woods you hunt in and the game you are pursuing will serve you a whole lot better in the long run than having the latest and greatest app on your phone or trail cameras all over the place. Uh, get back to hunting deer. Like, make it a sport. Yeah. You know, make it Because we already get as dog hunters. We're already cheating all of that much crap you guys out there sitting in the tree stands assassinating them as good as the ones that don't know them we we put deer, deer dogs on them and hear all them trucks running around the block they know something's up yeah yeah and they hear them dogs come out and say oh my god we got to go so they're aware that we're there y'all sit out there and put dough piss on you and, and stuff that you can't smell and sit up there in a tree and they walk up there and you assassinate them like president kennedy and you think you've done something you know <laughs> Just get you some dogs. Get you some dogs. Cut the deer uneven, Brighton. They've got the opportunity to turn around, whoop all them dogs, and leave. <laughs> yeah. Totally up to the deer. That would be by Jerry Clower. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you got for us this week, Brian? Oh, man. I don't. I always get surprised by it. I guess the, a little bit of knowledge will go a long way. If you can take and Maybe throughout this whole series, if you listen to these guys, I'm sure they'll they'll give you a hit like the end of the same with uh, with that buck will come back to that same place every time. He'll do something you ain't figured him to. That's why he's got horns on his head that day because he's smart. Yep. And if you if you listen and you can listen to some of them old guys, and they'll tell you everything they know about him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you have to pick through what's real, what ain't. Yeah. Yeah. I try to be real. I try to be real with that. I always do. I, I want this sport to continue. I want my grandsons to be able to do this and their sons. 
just like my father did it, and his father before, no, his father before him made moonshine for the most part. Okay, well, but he made good moonshine. Well, that's uh, that counts for something. Yeah, don't know what proof it of, and ain't any of it left. But yeah, that was my grandfather, Grover C. Smith Sr. Uh, the Smith family's been involved in dog racing hunting, I'm sure. By my father was born in '35. By the time he was, by the time the war was over, he was dog hunting with somebody. But they were running up and down the road, then and listening for dogs and and reading dogs, which is the way that. You know, that's truly the fair way to do it. I mean, I love technology, and I know every map that you ever had. But that's just so I know the logistics of the area. Right. But you have to be there in order to see where the deer crosses, what kind of deer it is. And if you've been up there enough times when you see a track, you say, this is a buck track, boys. Come bring me some dogs. The technology is, is a great, it's an awesome tool to use. But you have to understand that in some at some point, inevitably, it will fail. Yes, it's going to fail. So. It's going to fail. It's not going to work. You're on batteries. Same thing I've got on a radio station over there in WQBQ, 1410 on AM on your radio dial. And I'm over there and I've got me a young protege, and that's one of the things that I'm trying to tell him. You know, He came in there the other day and he's got everything on his phone, so I stole his phone, put it in the put it in the producer's office, we locked the door, and I gave him two pieces of paper, one on Bob Gibson and one on Ron Paranowski, and I said, start lining out what you're going to talk about. Well, I got on the computer. I said, the computer will fail you. This is why you got paper. It won't fail. I mean, you can see it here today. My computer failed us for a solid 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we had figured it out. I yeah. believe, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I do. What, what uh, piece of advice or parting words do you have for... The biggest one I've already told you, there is no deer so big and so proud and so beautiful, there is no deer anywhere that's worth shooting yourself or someone else over. So be careful, and you can't check your safety too many times, because we don't want nobody else shot. There's enough people to get shot every year by gun accidents, and it's just so simple. If you're going to drink, put your gun up. I don't drink anymore, I ain't drink. Yesterday was my 28th birthday of being sober, or the 28th birthday of my last hangover, however you're going to look at it. But if you're going to drink, get drunk, put your guns away. Because you don't need to, you're going to ruin your life up there. All you do is shoot one person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shoot one person. You know, I've been an electrician for 42 years. Nobody calls me an electrician. I have been a softball player for 23 years. I've been a coach for 25 years. Some of them call me coach. But they ain't never called me a killer. So, right. if you get, and I like to drink a beer back then as good as anybody. You can ask any of my friends. 30 was just getting me warmed up. But when I got too drunk, I put the gun up, go find me a shade tree, go sleep or drink the rest of my beer and listen on radio. Now, bad enough I had to drive home in that condition. Yeah, and aren't sure gonna shoot nobody in that condition because that'll ruin your life. Well, Dennis, I really appreciate you joining us this afternoon to record this podcast and kick us off on our Outdoorsman of a Bygone Era series. It's going to be really good. Make sure you guys are tuned in over the following weeks uh, to to hear the rest of what everybody's got to say. And we've got an awesome dude to bring it in as a capstone at the very end. I'm gonna keep that a secret of who this gentleman is. Uh, but uh, 
Make sure you guys go on iTunes, give us a five-star review, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast because that's how we are getting further up in the metric and uh, we can get ourselves out to more people. It's always great to give word of mouth. If you like what we're saying, tell your friends. So until next week. What? We got, what's that Facebook page? The Under Pressure, out, or Under Pressure Outdoors. On yeah, Facebook. that's Under Pressure Outdoors on Facebook. Y'all look it up. We'll be there. You got questions, we'll answer them. You guys we'll have give you opinion. answers whether they're right or not, but we'll give you an opinion. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is ask me, and I'll give you an opinion. <laughs> Y'all, you guys have a great week. All right.